This episode of GameScoop is sponsored by Squarespace. If you're looking for a way to make your business stand out and succeed online, Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for you. They take the stress out of creating an awesome website, engaging with your audience, and selling anything from products to content to time so you're able to focus on, you know, everything else. In other words, you'll have more time for gaming. With the new guided design system, you can choose from curated layouts and styling options to build a unique online presence from the ground up, optimized for every device. And with Squarespace's integrated, optimized SEO tools, you'll show up more often to more people. Squarespace doesn't just make things easier for you. Checkout for your customers is made seamless with simple but powerful payment tools that allow you to accept credit cards, PayPal, and Apple Pay. And in eligible countries, offer the option to buy now and pay later with Afterpay and ClearPay. So whether you're just starting out or looking to expand your existing brand, be sure to visit squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com gamescoop to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com gamescoop for 10% off. You know, when it comes to wireless carriers, sometimes what you see isn't always what you get. Except with Visible. With Visible, what you see is exactly what you get. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. With Visible, there are no hidden fees, no fine print, no hassle, nothing to hide. It's just $25 a month, all taxes and fees included. And you don't need more than one line of wireless to save. You can save on a line all to yourself with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. And again, just $25 a month. The future of wireless is here and it is transparent. If you want more transparency in your wireless plan, you want to be on the Visible plan. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. That's Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to IGN Game Scoop. I'm not Damon Hatfield. I'm <laughs> Tina Amini, sitting in for Damon Hatfield. And joining me this week are Samuel Claiborne. Hey, everybody. Justin Davis. Scoop. And special first-time appearance, our senior news editor, Kat Bailey. Welcome, Kat. Hello, everybody. Excited to be invading another podcast here over at IGN. <laughs> We're slowly getting to to, uh, to all of them for you. It's going to be real Kat scoop this week, a genuine Kat. <laughs> Uh, We've got a great show for you this week, if I may say so myself. Uh, A lot of movement happening in the video game industry. Lots of new or perhaps just formalized collaborations, potentially bringing in lots of new possibilities down the road. Uh, First up, earlier this week, Sony announced their acquisition of Housemark, the developer behind Mm. uh, most recently known for Returnal, of course, which was released uh, just a few months ago now exclusively to the PS5. Bit of a trend there, uh, to much critical as well as Damie praise. Um, <laughs> they were pretty light on the details of exactly what that new structure would tangibly mean for Housemark. Uh, but both the co-founder and managing director of Housemark, Ilari Kuitinen, and the head of PlayStation Studios, Herman Hulse, spoke to Collaboration several times uh, in an interview with British GQ. And they also spoke to the technology behind Housemark games. They both mentioned it as a pillar of the studio, essentially. Um, And I wanted to spend time talking about what we make of that. But then just this morning, uh, they also announced a a new acquisition with Nexus Software. Uh, So real quick from our news report from Joe Scrubbles, 
Uh, Nixus has worked extensively with Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, and IO Interactive since forming in 1999, porting the recent Tomb Raider trilogy and the two most recent Deus Ex games to PC. While no specifics have been given about Nixus's work for PlayStation, it feels likely that the studio will support Sony's increased focus on porting its console exclusives games to PC. So there's a bit of a trend here, aside from just the acquisitions, but there's a lot of technical know-how coming in from these two new studios. So what's our reaction to the news? Um, one thing that uh, th I know people really like Housemark because they've made these kind of like small boutique games that like are associated with Sony. Like I think Resogun was the one that I first remember, even though they had stuff before that. But people love that stuff. And because it's like these kind of twitchy arcadey games and then... Um, you know, I, I, that type that type of studio is, of course, like totally my jam. I love stuff like that. And one one cool thing that they've done is they've worked with um, like old arcade uh, devs like Eugene Jarvis on these old games, which I thought was really neat. And so that's why Returnal, when that came out, was like such a huge, crazy leap into you know AAA uh, like game design for them. And then everybody loved it. So it's like you can see why Sony's just like they built up loyalty among like Sony fans and then they made this big huge game. It's like what a what a great gift for them. It's just, everything just checks all the boxes, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, um, well, Returnal also plays homage to, you know, to Super Stardust and to Resogun, right? Where it is like like there's some parallel universe of video games or like bullet hell shooters mm -hmm. where the thing that took off for like the last 30 years and then Returnal is just the latest iteration of that because there is a lot of like you know dodging and ducking around the enemy bullet waves that are coming at you um so uh, you know it's it's great it's just awesome to see somebody take a different vision of what like a big triple a game can be and, and kudos to them for for uh you know tying the knot with sony yeah, Returnal is one of my favorite games of 2021. And when I played it, I was like, thank God we've finally gotten past the cover-based shooter with its kind of start and stop, very slow, very deliberate cadence. No offense to have people who enjoy those types of games, but I just much prefer the kind of the twitchy action that Returnal and Doom offer. And frankly, Returnal, I'm sorry, Housemark is really, really good at that style of game. The thing uh, with with Housemark is, uh, if you want to kind of have an idea of how this might play out for them, just look at Insomniac, which has just been a mm -hmm. huge win for Sony since their acquisition. Uh, it wasn't too long ago that Insomniac was in some real trouble. They had a really bad time. For example, with EA, a lot of their games weren't doing super well. And then they kind of came out of the wilderness with Spider-Man. And ever since, mm -hmm. Insomniac has just vaulted toward the kind of the top of the rankings in terms of Blockbuster Studios. And it seems like the same could be done for Housemark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and um, Go ahead. I was just going to say, Herman Holst, uh, you know, head of PlayStation Studios, was kind of speaking to, alluding to what that might look like for Housemark in the sense of they hold forums, they're very much about sharing uh, resources or intel uh, amongst their developers. So they spoke a little bit to, Housemark is now providing, like they have their own visual effects engine, uh, engine and Larry Quitinen was speaking about that as well. And so I think that their contribution is on the technical end, which sounds like a similar perspective from the, from Nix's software that we just heard about this morning from, from the recording on Thursday. Uh, so it seems like the idea is that kind of collaborative nature, and Herman Hulse was also speaking to when they're looking at acquisitions, that's mm -hmm. the angle they're going for. You're, you're genuinely coming into a network, into a family of developers meant to hold, uh, you know, 
hold conferences to to educate one another or even genuinely just borrow from each other's development studios uh, and and they also spoke to how now being able to focus on one platform would give them an opportunity to think about and spend more of their focus on some of those other elements and some of their aspirations for where they want to take the future of their games coming into this new AAA territory they're in and yeah, Housemark is a studio that is consistently punched above its own weight. Uh, last I checked, it had about 80 people on its development team. It might have scaled up a bit more for how, uh, for Returnal. That's really impressive considering the, the quality of the games that it put out. I mean, Returnal had its share of technical problems, but by and large, it's one of the most beautiful games on the platform. I was mm -hmm. shocked when I was playing it. And so with the resources that Sony should be able to give them, I, I really expect Housemark's next project to be like kind of blow the doors off. Mm -hmm. uh, see, I kind of hope they go the other direction and we get a super Stardust HD sequel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't and think they're going to do that small though. Games. Yeah. The, yeah. The sad thing is they're like, we're done with that. Like when they, exactly. when Returnal came out, they gave an interview and said, you know, we did the arcade thing. It was great. Mm -hmm. We had a good time with it but it's time to move on to bigger and better games. And there was some sadness from people who kind of wish that we could have more big time developers who would follow that particular path. But for Housemark, uh, I think they just have, are seeing themselves moving on to the next step. And I respect that. Returnal is not your bog standard uh, AAA blockbuster game. It's very Housemark in the way that it uses. Uh, particle effects, the way that the action moves and everything, and I expect their next game to have a similar stamp of their identity. They can yeah, usually when uh, traditionally when companies have moved on from making arcade games, they went into making mascot platformers and JRPGs <laughs> and uh, '90s <laughs> fighters, but uh, they skipped all that and went straight to uh, contemporary 3D games. Mm -hmm. That's and, what uh, coming into the PlayStation uh, history family does for you. There's always more and more, you know, another eight-person team can pick up the mantle of making, you know, a spiritual successor to Stardust HD. Um, I was looking at, they've been locked up, you alluded to this earlier, Tina, that they've been locked up a Sony for so long that, you know, some people, like, that was the news wasn't shocking or surprising at all. It was just sort of making official a business partnership that had long been in place. Mm -hmm. The last game that they released that was not released, it did eventually get ported to the Vita, but wasn't initially released on a Sony platform was a mobile game called Furman's, a uh, cute little physics puzzler. And I was looking- Did you review it? That's, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, looking up information about it and uh, I found my own writings about that game. <laughs> <laughs> I love cool. it when that happens. Yeah. Self-educating. Yeah, back point. in 2012. So for nine years, they've been, um, mm -hmm. uh, they, they have, uh, they did do some work for Activision and stuff in the meantime, mm -hmm. but everything that they released has been on a PlayStation platform since. They did like an isometric shooter, probably, they probably did several of them, but I think there was called Alien Storm or something, Alien Syndicate, something like that. And um, it was a, uh, I looked at it and I was like, I think I reviewed that game. And then I looked it up and somebody else had reviewed it, but I thought I did. And I had done one just like it at the time. It was 2010, it was a long time ago. But there's still a chance to re-review it. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe I did the sequel or something. I just was really confused. I was like, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, but yes, it, it does seem like, uh, at least according to um, Housemark's co-founder in, in the interview with British GQ, it does seem like, as he says, when we're thinking about future the future titles, they'll maybe be even bigger and even more ambitious. So it, it doesn't seem like they're going to be coming backwards into the roots of some of those smaller arcade-like games. But who knows, perhaps in these forums, they'll be uh, passing on and, and educating to other developers and giving them some ideas of ways to incorporate some of their uh, well-known uh, kind of genre and style of development.
Yeah, they could take on a Sony license. I mean, that's what's really cool, right? Is that they could be given like some some cool license to resurrect or or do the next game in. That'd be amazing. Yeah, I mean, well, Cat's right. Like, you know, all goofing on Super Stardust aside, like just a different vision of what a AAA game can be. Like, I always really appreciate mm-hmm. that. And even though you know, Returnal wasn't necessarily my thing, mainly because of the, uh, I just wish it was linear. Um, but the actual moment to moment gameplay. Um, it's fantastic to see somebody take that budget and that approach and that 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 AAA mindset and then not do like it's not a very safe game it's a pretty risky interesting unique game which uh, i really place a premium on at this point in my life but just the Need fact that it's basically a roguelite uh really has that kind of indie kind of vibe toward it and just the way that the structure is handled and we were all kind of waiting for a game like returnal to come out so it's uh, kind of opening the door for a kind of an exciting um, approach to game development. The thing that I'm most interested, though, is when it comes to the acquisition of Housemark, is Sony's acquisition strategy going forward. One of the things that happened when Housemark was announced was it mm-hmm. seemed as if Sony accidentally mm-hmm. teased the acquisition of Bluepoint as well, mm-hmm. which is something that seems inevitable given their close partnership with Sony. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They did like the exactly. Shadow of the Colossus port mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of are, are working their way through some of that type. They did another port too for Sony, right? It did uh, De- Dark Souls or Demon Souls. Demon Souls. Demon Souls yeah. last Demon year. Souls. Yeah, exactly. In partnership with Rumors Rumors working on another revival of an mm-hmm. interesting yeah. game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so that, that that is the interesting strategy, Kat. I, I was uh, wondering about that a lot as well because now we're getting a little bit of insight into maybe the unfolding of some other news to come. Uh, mm-hmm. And there is this there's this consistency between um, studios that they've already had they already have developing relationships with, mm-hmm. and then studios with technological prowess. And it, and you know when we're talking about Nixus software because they're they're accustomed to doing ports, especially to PC, and that's been an often requested feature or, or rather um, part of the ecosystem when it comes to PlayStation games. It, it does feel like there are some intentional steps forward here, both with partners mm-hmm. that they're they have these familiar familiar relationships with, but also could potentially take them to the next level that uh, you know people have been asking for for quite some time. I think Nintendo proceeds the same way. A lot of the acquisitions they've done have been that that kind of close partnership for a while, and then they're like, you're ours now. And uh, I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's funny when the opposite of that happened with Rare. Um, but that's mm-hmm. Microsoft's totally different strategy, right? Is that they're, they, they snatched up a lot of developers, you know, like especially over the past three years. And um, it's been hard to tell like where they were going with that, you know, like it's, it's just been like get really good talented people instead of like these kind of go-tos that they've been working with. Yeah, it feels a little bit less unified and sort of building a brick by brick strategy and more just like playing a little bit of catch up just because Microsoft first party studios weren't quite, weren't quite yeah. as uh, prolific as Sony first oh, yeah. party studios were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, you know, Kat, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think for Sony in the last decade, you know, their their previous acquisition before this was Insomniac, as we were speaking to earlier in, in 2019, and for basically for the last decade, it's been Insomniac and then Housemark, and now mm-hmm. really feels like the floodgates are beginning to open where that strategy is is being renewed. But it's in stark contrast to uh, the Xbox strategy of, of late. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Sony really wants to keep building up its first party studios because as was alluded to in a piece about uh, PlayStation Indies just today, Sony Mm -hmm. has just put a huge premium on AAA, big budget uh, games that will really like push the PS5 to the absolute limits. And you can just see it in the logo, which every game (laughs) starts up with a kind of a Marvel style 
logos being like, look at all of our first party IPs. And they're mm -hmm. doing that with Insomniac and now they're doing that with Housemark. So it's a great um, comparison. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think Marvel every time I see that freaking logo. Yeah, it totally is worth it. They totally cribbed that from there. Mm -hmm. Well, in other new collaboration news, Remedy also announced a control multiplayer spinoff game. It's codenamed Condor. Uh, it is it going to be a four-player co-op player versus environment game, which actually feels pretty apt considering the mm -hmm. universe and the experience of, of control. Uh, the development is going to be split between Remedy and 505 Games, who, reminder, published Control. And then notable in the story is that the initial development budget is cited at 25 million euros, which will be split between the two studios. Um, and that's approximately the same budget as Control, which was cited at just around 30 million euros. Obviously, it's difficult to make a comparison when we're talking mm -hmm. about a single-player game and a multiplayer game. You know, for a multiplayer, Remedy is a studio has been uh, increasingly ramping up their uh, staff. But in general, when you're working on a multiplayer game, you need multiplayer specific programmers and you need to be thinking mm -hmm. about, you know, are we going to be using um, character modding and, and interchangeable assets for being able to like, you know, do different weapons or, you know, decorating your characters, like whatever involvement there might be there could potentially impact like what that budget means. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's difficult to make a scale comparison, but I, I still want to. Uh, and obviously they're reusing, they're going to inevitably be reusing models, characters, textures, and probably basic player mechanics. So at least they're not starting from scratch there, but it's an interesting new territory for Remedy in general to be heading into this multiplayer kind of experience. Yeah. And it's also exploring, they're returning to a universe. Like they just don't do stuff like that. And to, you know, expand that universe, you know, beyond Alan Wake and Control, which are now officially tied together. That's that's an official thing, which is really funny. Um, mm -hmm. That that's just it's super cool. I, I think that they uh, th there's people on our staff that love Control for its vibe and its universe and its characters and like everything that was built out. And I, you know, it was received very well, uh, quote unquote, in office when uh, Control was uh, expanded. I think that's people are really excited for that. Remedy mm -hmm. and then has something that everybody desperately wants would kill for which is a brand new ip that is very <laughs> popular it's a real breakout hit and now remedy is doing what a lot of studios want to do which is leverage it as much as humanly possible and you can argue with that and be like oh geez another studio that was kind of a fun <laughs> mid-tier studio just doing the big budget blockbuster thing but hey whatever you got to do to keep going. And I think Remedy is a, a quality outfit. So I'm really glad that Control's been a hit for them. And just looking at that concept art that they put out for the multiplayer game, it looks like it's gonna have the same kind of sense of humor that mm -hmm. Control had. And they were shouting out 90s uh, multiplayer games, which uh, gives me a lot of hope, I think. I think mm -hmm. it'll very be very much in the spirit of Control. Mario Party? That's what they're referring to. <laughs> Goldeneye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of course i mean that gets my attention obviously a lot more i you know i am one of those folks that uh like you cat like i wish that remedy was doing something else and focused on something else i'm not personally interested in playing this game although i sort of acknowledge why as you say like you know you don't always have the luxury of taking a risk with you know game after game after game and if one of them really lands and takes off you know you kind of have a requirement almost to your staff to lean into it at least to some degree um but you know like th this isn't something anybody was asking for so 
So I, I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Like I'll go into it with an open mind, but um, it, it's when I saw the news, my reaction was just kind of like, Oh, huh? Like that's weird. <laughs> I do like how they said like, listen, we're remedy. Like we're going to make our own multiplayer game. Like trust us. I thought that was kind of cool. Cause that means that like, they know that they have a style and a, and a kind of rep, uh, reputation to uphold in what I would describe as like weirdness and uniqueness and like stuff like that. I think that's, that's, that's a cool thing. And I, I am reassured by that. They also said they're working on a control sequel directly too. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think we're going to get, uh, you know, have the cake and eat it too in this situation. And it'll, the cake will be like some super weapon that works into <laughs> like some triangle reality. An alien that will kill you. <laughs> yeah, they, they said that they're, they're working on, they're actually working on about like six or so other projects uh, in total, um, including two just that are set in so? the, just six or so. Um, that's, what, that's why they've been staffing up. Um, but yeah, two should be set in the control Alan Wake universe. And they did tease like c- certain of those elements. So they've been kind of threading that connection from the start. I think they just, you know, like elements of the world and they do in a supernatural way connect. Um, but, but yeah, Justin, if it makes you feel better, there'll be possibly four others that could not be control related. Possibly. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like, you know, this is the Max Payne studio, right? Like I think myself, mm-hmm. like a lot of folks have a soft spot for remedy and, you know, Alan Wake was a sort of cult classic, but never really mm-hmm. broke through and quantum wake or quantum break was the same thing. Like didn't really break through in a big way. And so, you know, I'm happy for them for sort of breaking through with a hit, like, it's been a while, um, so it's awesome. And they're another studio, actually, not that different than Housemark, that like has a little bit of a different vision for what like a big AAA action game should be. And I do always appreciate that. Um, I just can't. I still just can't shake the feeling. This feels like a very Capcom Resident Evil thing to do. It's like, what? <laughs> oh this yeah, oh that could. That's what it could end up being. Honestly, is if uh, if they don't kind of put the budget into it and it ends up being a weird side project, yeah, it could be a very Resident Evil mercenary thing. But on the other hand, there are fans of Resident Evil mercenaries out there. Please don't be <laughs> mad at me. There's, and then there's, of course, the uh, Konami following that same pattern. I think the only That's Metal true. Gear games we'll get from here on out are going to be weird multiplayer games. Yeah, I honestly mm-hmm. forgot about that weird spinoff. Um, no, but you're right, Tina, that they're, you know, they're saying the right things at the outset. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, and to the um, the multiplayer reassurances that, Sam, you were alluding to before, I have the quote here from their uh, the game's director, uh, which is, we get there is going to be skepticism about multiplayer, but I believe we can create shared experiences without compromising the unique DNA of who we are or the stories we want to tell. Yes, we need to rethink our angles, our techniques, our mindsets, but we see it as an exciting challenge. What would a Remedy multiplayer game look like? Which is fair enough. You know, them diving into and flexing into another territory could, could count for a really unique multiplayer experience based on mm-hmm. how we've seen them take their own unique approach to single-player games. Yeah. I mean, they're a Game of the Year developer. Like, like let's mm-hmm. let's see what they do. That's super yeah. cool. Yeah, our Game of the Year developer. Yep. And are, do you think they're for sale? <laughs> well, they, 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 they have another... kind of coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. circling like buzzards <laughs> just watch out well, for phil spencer's shelf like the second that something from oh, yeah. shows up right yeah. we're all in trouble mm-hmm. look that's out for like a, a clear red polygon just floating and rotating behind him yeah he probably has bigger problems if, if that's the case i mean honestly before after playing control the shelf itself is the clue right some like <laughs> mundane shelf in the background i mean that's the only thing you blow up in that game 
That's true. More than anybody else, it would be an object of interest, or I forget yes. the exact name for it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. What was it? Yeah. Object of power? I can't even remember. Object of power, actually. That sounds right. That sounds more like a remedy so title. Peaks. Yeah. Well, in even more partnership announcements, uh, Konami announced a strategic cooperation agreement where they'll be jointly, quote, jointly developing selected contents and exchanging know-how with Bloober, obviously the team behind the medium. Um, so they'll certainly be developing games together, that much we know. Um, and this is all coming off the heels of rumors or perhaps more so speculation around a Silent Hill game in development. Uh, and in a Game Industry Biz interview back in February, uh, Bloober Team had said that they were working on another horror IP with a very famous publisher. So, of course, the internet has scrambled together to decide that it was likely to be a, a Silent Hill project. So how do we feel about Bloober being the next team behind one of the Silent Hill projects that are rumored to be in development? Eh. <laughs> no offense to uh, Bloober Team, but like if you look at their previous games, they've all been kind of lightly received horror games. I'm not surprised that the medium or that Konami targeted Bloober for a potential Silent Hill game because Bloober borrowed so much from Silent Hill in making the medium, down to the fact that it had Silent Hill's composer. So. They've obviously been inspired by Silent Hill. They were going for that vibe, and Konami said, oh, why not? I will say that Bloober did a pretty good job with technology on the Xbox Series X, and uh, it was a good-looking game. So I, I guess we'll see. I I guess it's one of those situations where it's like, I, I hope it ends up being good, but Bloober is very much in a kind of prove-it mode uh, with this franchise, which, by the way, there's so much pressure because... Silent Hill is such a beloved series, and it went on hiatus. A lot of people felt that Konami kind of did Silent Hill dirty 10 years mm -hmm. ago. And so if Silent Hill returns and it's not all that, there's going to be a lot of frustration, I think. So good luck to Bloober if this ends up being the case. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I've never, like, I've, I've never liked Silent Hill as much as Resident Evil. Well, I don't like Spookies at all anymore. But like, oh, jeez. Even back when oh, I was... Geez. <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. Justin, we, watch out. They're coming for you. you know what, they, <laughs> Zombies. Fighting words. They can call the, they can call the cops. Um, <laughs> no, I, I just... If you look at that library of games, they are as bad as they are good. Um, so, you know, Silent, High, Silent Hill has really, really high highs, but it's like, I don't know. I don't, I mean, give me a break. <laughs> it's fine. I think I think Bloober is, uh, you know, the medium was super well received, and I think that they're a great they're a great fit for this. And it's like it has to be outsourced since Konami is kind of a shadow of its former self. So if you're gonna pick a third party partner to sort of hand over the reins to, which by the way, like Tina, you said this, it's not confirmed. By the way, we're all just sort of like connecting the dots and making assumptions. Um, mm -hmm. But I think they're a great candidate for it. This this brings me to another question: What is Konami's like, what's their strategy? Okay, so like, look at the past few years. Ever since Metal Gear Solid Five and Kojima's departure from the company, first they were kind of like, well, we're basically out of big budget game development. We're focusing on mobile games. And then they were kind of putting a toe back in. They were releasing retro collections of games mm -hmm. like uh, Castlevania on yeah. the Nintendo Switch. Mm -hmm. Now they're reviving a Famicom game that never came out in North America. It was recently uh, a version of it came out on the PC. And now they have this partnership with Bloober. Are they all the way back in? What are they so, trying to attempt? Like, what are their ambitions here? Do they just go, oh, we can make some money off this? 
while in addition to our pachinko business and our gym business, or are they really serious about being a AAA publisher? I have no idea. It's all been so tepid so far in terms mm -hmm. of what their actual moves have been in the uh, games industry. I think it's it's wild how big those franchises are. Just Metal Gear and Silent Hill alone, like that's that's insane. And then mm -hmm. you know you have their legacy stuff, Contra and and Castlevania and Gradius and like all these like just beloved things that they could you would think they could just be making you know games and money hand over fist with. But then you go to Japan, you're like Konami does as you mentioned all this other stuff, and you know like it's just it's just shocking to think that they you know don't need to be a media company. And this is the biggest closest thing we've seen to uh, you know having like. If there's going to be a new Silent Hill game, that's like a big single player giant experience game that they could be edging back into. It would give me hope. But like, I don't know if this is this seems like an interesting way to go about it. I would I would love for, you know, Konami to have internal Japanese studios with the people that worked on these amazing games that we still love. But I think those are all just broken up. You know, Kojima leaving there is, is a is a pretty big deal. Like there's lifers at Japanese companies, you know. And so, like, I, I'm kind of curious what happens. Hey, was there? In the news, there was something about you mentioned the composer worked on this Bloomberg mm -hmm. game that was a Silent Silent Hill composer. The medium. Yeah, and then he tweeted something we put in our news story, which was like a little hint mm -hmm. at like, oh, we have an announcement coming that will be the one you're waiting for, or something this summer. It, it was wow. like, like it was. It's the, the the I think the pieces are falling in place. There was a bit of cat. Um, you might remember a little bit more specifically than I do, but uh, there was a bit of drama or perceived drama around an interview going up with the composer and then it was said that you know oh the composer had asked for the interview to be taken down and then we'd gotten a statement oh. that said like no he didn't ask for the interview to be taken down but obviously and it's kind of the streisand effect like anytime yeah. there's an assumption around things being taken down it kind of lends more credence to the rumors so there was a bit of a roller coaster ride on on that story mm -hmm. i think if, is that what you're talking about yeah, that sounds about right, though. I don't remember the specific <laughs> story uh, mm -hmm. that happened, but yeah, like if they were teasing uh, something that we were going to enjoy this summer, then it absolutely sounds like a Silent Hill thing. As long as we're not having to talk about Blue Box anymore, I'm just happy about that. Oh, boy. <laughs> we, uh, you know, Kat, in answer to your question of what is Konami doing, I don't know. Um, it probably has to do with selling more pachinko machines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tried that's right. Mm -hmm. You use video games in, to sell pachinko machines. That's, that's what it all. Works. That's the top of the Konami pyramid at this point. Yeah. That's the me out. They should put a hundred million dollars into a Gradius sequel. It's mm. time. You're speaking Let's my make language. it happen. So, from our news story, it says Silent Hill composer Akira Yamaoka has separately teased that his latest project will be announced this summer, calling it the one you're kind of hoping to hear about. <laughs> <laughs> what could it be? That I would be the that. one. The one mm -hmm. you're kind of hoping to hear about. <laughs> but it's absolutely right. Like, you know, fans are fans would clamor for another Silent Hill. So that the pressure is certainly mm -hmm. on for that return. And I suppose the pressure is on for Konami in sort of rehabilitating or reestablishing their identity. Because yes, what is Konami? When it comes to Silent Hill, I, I think it's such an interesting franchise because I think that it's it, Silent Hill 2, obviously a classic of survival horror no doubt about it. But I also think that its reputation has been inflated somewhat by the legend that PT has become. PT has become more of an idea than a game in mm -hmm. some ways. And so when people talk about wanting a new Silent Hill, 
I have to imagine that they want something that combines the innovation slash promise of PT or the idea that of PT that they have in their head with whatever Silent Hill is going to be. And by the way, Kojima has to be working on it. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> and so anything less than that is going to be like, well, this is what I wanted, <laughs> you know? So but that's what that's what I was trying to say earlier. And you all said, oh, yeah. no, Justin, watch out. <laughs> Justin, why you gotta be um, a hater? Not from us. Yeah. I, I, am, I am a little bit of a Silent Hill hater, to be fair. Oh, um, Silent hater? Oh, Don't do that, man. But I'm just like, it's the same thing you were just saying, though. Like, what yeah. game can they make that everyone's like, yep, you did it? <laughs> like, they're, they're, in a, they're in a little bit of a tough spot. Mm-hmm. This episode of Game Scoop is brought to you by NordVPN. As Scoop Nation knows, your Omega Cops have been a little obsessed with a movie called Weekend at Bernie's lately. But as happens too often these days, it is difficult to find it streaming here in the U.S. That's where NordVPN comes in. With NordVPN, you can switch your virtual location to a more enlightened region where they appreciate the comic delights of Weekend at Bernie's. And it's not just for streaming movies and shows. Switching your virtual location can allow you to save money by purchasing flights, hotels, and subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price. And you can do all this worry-free as NordVPN threat protection features protect you from viruses, malware, and phishing sites. Best of all, NordVPN costs the price of a cup of coffee a month, and one account can be used on up to six devices. To get the best discount on your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com gamescoop. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com gamescoop. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Well, in in non-new acquisitions, collaborations, rumors, news, we have a little bit of news about Elder Scrolls Six, which is that there's not really that much news, essentially. <laughs> Kat, you actually wrote this story for us, um, but to catch us up... So the game was announced roughly three years ago now, uh, and Todd Howard, uh, the director on the game, came out to say it's good to think of the Elder Scrolls VI as still being in the design phase, but we're checking the tech. Is this going to handle the things we want to do in that game? Every game will have some new suites of technology, so Elder Scrolls VI will have some additions to Creation Engine 2 that that game is going to require. So of course, you know, their focus right now is on Starfield. That's coming out in 2022, uh, recently shown off during Xbox's E3 conference this year. Um, but it, it seems like we're a bit of a ways away from some genuine Elder Scrolls Six news coming up. But I, I do appreciate the transparency in setting expectations. <laughs> yeah, Elder Scrolls Six is a long ways away because, <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, they when they announced it back in 2018, they said pre-production. So if you go even further back than that, like say 2016, they're like, we're not working on it right now. It's an idea. It's a thing that we're thinking about. So 2018, pre-production, 
they're still like sketching it out, I guess. They're still figuring out the technology. And they said in the in the interview that uh, it's going to use the Creation Engine 2, which we got a glimpse of in the Starfield teaser. It looks like, frankly, really good new technology. I was actually quite impressed with what they showed in the Starfield teaser. And so we're going to get that in Elder Scrolls 6. They said that they're going to continue to push the uh, technology forward with it. They have a lot of very ambitious ideas for Elder Scrolls 6. They're going to use uh, photogametry to be able to get actual extras in. I think they said that they were going to have Skyrim grandma in Elder Scrolls 6, which is pretty cool. And they're going to have a, a really big world, you know? So whatever eventually comes out is probably going to be absolutely mind-blowing, but Bethesda has never made any bones about the fact that they were focusing on Starfield. They're going to get Starfield out, and then it was going to be on to the next thing, and that was Elder Scrolls Six. And if anything, I think they said that there was another project as well as Elder Scrolls Six, which may actually come out before that as well. So, frankly, it doesn't seem like Bethesda's in any hurry because actually Skyrim is still selling really well. Yeah, <laughs> ten yep, years yep. later. You could play Skyrim on your fridge and probably a million people will buy it as long as it has mods. Yeah. I mean, why? What's their thought process for announcing it? Like, why put that logo out there? They like, wanted some they, hype. But like, what, what, like, what do they get? Like, you don't need, like, Nintendo doesn't need to say Mario will return. Like, we know. We know. Like, yeah, but they will. Think about think about all the speculation and the hype that's been going on for the past three years around Elder Scrolls Six. It's keeping it's still front of mind in the Elder Scrolls uh, community. They're going, well, maybe it's going to be called Redfall. It's going to be Redfall. It's going to be Redfall. It doesn't turn out to be Redfall, but people are just talking about it. People are looking at the Starfield trailer and going, aha, we have found it. It's definitely going to be in Hammerfell based on this tiny etching on a dashboard on the space. I love that story. In Starfield. <laughs> I mean, and yeah. that's the thing. People are talking about it. Mm -hmm. it. It feels like similar to Elden Ring in the sense of if you don't say something about it, the community will find something to say about it for you, contributing to speculation and then possibly contributing to raised, heightened expectations that yeah. who knows if you can deliver on them at that mm -hmm. point. That's why transparency is good. It's my mm -hmm. motto. It's going to be um, almost tw 20 years between Elder Scrolls games. That's wild, There's isn't it? <laughs> that is that's insane yeah I, I was looking up like their their um elder scrolls publishing schedule and there's about four years be before between the uh development they said they started after oblivion developing skyrim and then and skyrim was out so that was about four years uh that that, that took games take you know probably you know close to longer than that now because especially really ambitious ones but you know if they're, they're that early maybe we can we can look for you know two or three years still to go uh what's interesting when you look at that schedule though uh, of published elder scrolls games is that it's like it's it's skyrim and then it's online and then it's um uh blades right um yeah. and you compare that like that's barely anything for like the biggest you know, kind of just like with Konami, like just this big uh, property that they own, this big like series of games that they own. Um, it's just not that much. And like what Nintendo does between Zeldas is they like remake three Zeldas or they put off spinoff Zeldas and stuff like that. And like, I'm just shocked at how little comes out from that lucrative franchise, taking into account that as Cat pointed out, 
Skyrim just sells anyway, so they just don't need to. I'm, I'm still surprised. I mean, I would love a Oblivion remake. That was like a, all I could think mm. about when I was like, why aren't they just, uh, why aren't they just, you know, giving us some things like morsels like Nintendo does, you know, between mm-hmm. things? It'd be super no, cool. No, you're going to gonna have, take like, your remastered show. Skyrim and you're going to like it. Yeah. Well, that, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but they didn't release play it on your 76. Texas instrument. They did release Fallout 76 yeah. and Elder Scrolls Online, you know, so yeah, yeah. they're still putting out new games. It's not like they haven't yeah, done just... anything since Fallout 4. No, it's Beth- just like Bethesda's that, that universe. Games, they're, they're not exploiting the Elder Scrolls universe. There's not a million tie-in novels coming out or mm-hmm. like that. I think that's what you're getting at, Sam. Is yeah, like, yeah. For it to still have I, the Granted, the MMO is like... They're just leaving it alone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But less is more, you know? Like, yeah. if they just exploit it, people are like, oh, here we go. Bethesda's just trying to milk the Elder Scrolls dragon mm. or something uh, until it's dry. <laughs> the so this is keeping the, it's keeping the <laughs> it's keeping the excitement high. I think the comparison point is if you look at the difference, uh, the time that we had to wait between Fallout Three and Fallout Four. The production of Fallout Four started in like 2008, and Fallout Four mm. finally came out in 2015. It took so that's a solid seven years. So if you think about it. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Elder Scrolls Six production started in about 2018, or not even production, pre-production. So if you're like going by seven years, like 2025. Yeah, and my example from before that was four years. So it's probably it's probably a graph. So it's like four, then seven, and then what, eleven next? Games take a long time to make now. You know, yeah. like especially totally a game like that. So. And, and building, you know, like it's 20 years is an exaggeration, by the way. It's going to be probably about 15 years between Elder Scrolls games. But like when it's on a whole new tech stack, like, you know, top to bottom, we built new tech. It's like it's not actually a horrible idea to like test it and build it for your new thing. And then and then it's sort of there and established and you have that foundation with which to do um, like you can't mess up an Elder Scrolls game like they have mm-hmm. to deliver a home run with it. So. Maybe it's better to build the new tech for Starfield and then um, and then layer on what they need for Elder Scrolls, which they talked about in their interview recently. Don't you think Microsoft yeah. is going to have some to something to say about this too? They can be like, "Listen, no, we're no. going to we're going to close Windows, we're going to close Skype, and we're just going to work on Elder Scrolls." Yeah, turn off Xbox, turn off Slack for a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> Xbox has Avowed and Fable and a million other first person open world RPGs, and they're going to put them out every year. They're establishing a cadence. It's going to happen. So they're going to have Outer Worlds 2, Avowed, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. The Brian Fargo-owned studio that I can never rem- remember their name, who did Wasteland 3. The, nice you'll time. have their game. They're also making a first-person, like, Microsoft set. So, but, but that's going to take their time. Well, you know, the fact that I have sort of a conspiracy theory, which is that they Microsoft bought Obsidian, right? And Obsidian used to lock themselves up with Bethesda, and they used to make, you know, they made Fallout New Vegas, which now Microsoft owns. And so we're, we're in a world, all the pieces are set for Obsidian to make a Fallout game, I guess, is what I'm getting at. There's nothing, like Microsoft owns them both. You know, they what? own Fallout and they owned Obsidian. What must the meetings between Bethesda and Obsidian be like? Because there are some pretty gnarly rumors about the relationships yeah. between those studios. I, I would yeah, love to well, be able to fly on a wall when Todd Howard and Fergus Urquhart are getting together around a table and saying, Oh, hello. Mm-hmm. But they have they have the same they have the same mom and dad now, so <laughs> Yep. Can't fight anymore. Nope. Nope. 
Well, perfect transition into the next topic <laughs> is uh, outside of the news, our own news. What are we playing, everybody? Um, I'll start first. I'm playing Mass Effect Legendary Edition. I alluded to this last week. I'm not planning on playing anything else until I am done with Mass Effect 3. I'm just about <laughs> there because if I stop now to play Ratchet and Clank, I'll never play anything else ever again. Uh, so or I'll never play any Mass Effect ever again. Um, mm -hmm. So personally, I have really been enjoying the like almost turn-based strategy gameplay that you can force Mass Effect into, that you can kind of recreate by using the, the weapon and the power wheel. It's incredibly, I kind of forgot how adaptable and fun it's always been. And I um, have been, it's been interesting to see playing back to back. I never really noticed the pattern of the evolution of some of like the UI or even the map or rather the lack the lack thereof evolution between the map um, or even how like quests are logged just between the different series it's just really interesting to see the different directions that they took and then comparing that with the engagement of your squad mates like I felt like in Mass Effect 1 there were more random dialogue moments because you could directly engage with your squad mates uh, kind of like a bit of a Dragon Age effect um, where they're just chatting around you while you're going about your quests and then of course in 2 and 3 you do get the more in-depth relationships at the very least but it's this evolution of like seeing Mass Effect uh, as a series through um, that has like given me this like reappreciation for some of these things and, and helped me see like the develop the developers walking through like Bioware kind of evolving through as they go through and identify like what really makes the experience unique what really strikes for people um, and then just recalling that, oh, Mass Effect 1 was just not not a good game. Let's just put it out there. Tina! I was so with you. I was so uh, with you right up there till the debate, very end. Debate me. <laughs> That's, I'm, I'm, I'm calling the okay, cops how on about that. You've me no choice. <laughs> Look, I, I'm going to give my spiel for the original Mass Effect really quickly. It gets mm -hmm. so freaking good once you leave the... Uh, the Citadel for the first time. It's the most expansive of the original Mass Effect games. It's the most ambitious. It has a heck of a set piece to close off. It has the best villain. Um, and frankly, like I don't think that Mass Effect 2 or 3 works if Mass Effect 1 isn't doesn't establish that foundation so well. It's under so much pressure to build this universe, and it's really great. And frankly, it's the deepest out of all of them because Mass Effect 2 and 3 are just glorified shooters. So, um, Wow. Just what I'm that gonna is say. A, this is yeah, the that that is a fair point that they do dive more into the gameplay, which to yeah. be fair is going to be the more like mainstreamy appeal thing. And everything in two and three really truly does build off of the events in one. So it is important if you want to carry out your own unique decisions. So I personally, um, like some people have been saying, skip one if you're doing Legendary Edition. No. Skip don't one. Skip one. Go straight. Don't to, skip I one. Agree. Don't I skipped skip one. one. I skipped it. <laughs> I skipped it. I played well, the yes. comic book. So. Yeah, you, you can make like you can make certain decisions, but there is a lot more depth when you kind of go through. It just felt very like let me get on let me get on my Mako again and let me go across this planet and do and like I have to like I'm suddenly in a collector mindset, no pun intended, where I need to go and find every single thing on every one of these planets. So like that got less grueling in two and three, so that was a good evolution in that direction. But it was mm -hmm. important because you you have certain dynamics with certain characters that come to play even in three even two games later like significant little dialogue moments like you'll have a moment in two where you meet jack and if you or in three where you meet jack 
again and if you had done something unique with her if you had chosen her for a specific mission role then she has something to say about it in three like that carry through of the development of the impact of like all the relationships that truly do feel unique to you make me feel like you have to play one but comparatively i just felt like it was a lot more grueling to get all of that at the end of the day Mm. don't skip one because i'm biting biting my tongue (laughs) are we not friends because if you skip one (laughs) you just can't build the connections to the party members that sure. will make you genuinely love them when they come around in Mass Effect 2. And I, want to clarify, I think those connections are what make Mass Effect special. What were you saying, Sam? Oh, it's like I, I, I skipped one. So like the reason I did is because I played it before and I don't want to play it ever mm-hmm. again. Um, well, I've probably played <sighs> it twice before. Um, I don't I don't know. Like that game, like even even the second time I, I, I worked on the guide for this game. So that always flavors my memories of it and, and how things go with it. But I do remember it being a, uh, a bit of a slog, but I also remember it being mm-hmm. gorgeous and world building. And, and I love the characters and everything about that. I just didn't, didn't ever want to play it again, but that could be totally also, you know, because I was like, I, I wrote a book this thick about this game and I'm, dead, I'm done with it. I'm just done. Hey, I mean, if the, you played client... it before and did the guide for it, respect Sam. Like you, you, you mm. earned a pass. You can skip it. It's okay. But, but two was go. really fun to go back and play. And like, I love it. I think, yes. I think it's mm. so great to hop into. And especially with the DLC, it's like been really cool uh, playing that, that like with characters that you, you know, unlock from the start. And it, it's so fun. And I will say Mass Effect 3 by comparison, I actually feel like I need a guide to get through that game because there's certain Mm -hmm. elements like you'll miss out on certain missions if you certain side quests if you don't complete them before certain priority quests and there's no real way to know that unless you get into a good Mm -hmm. routine and habit of okay I'll do a priority quest and I'll do all the planet scanning I can do before the reapers are coming after me and then I'll do all the side quests I can possibly do and then I'll probably be safe to go to the next priority mission where I'm not messing anything up but then if you miss items no one tells you you can go to like the Spectre Requisitions office yeah. and go and buy. Like, there's a lot that you have to figure out on the fly or mm-hmm. read about, and so that's that was a to the detriment of three. I would say like one and two felt a lot like they made more sense in that sense. But I mean, the- one to come back to like the relationships element, you do have this like good side dialogue when you're going um, when you take you know the Mako out and you're out with your with your uh, companions. Um, you do have more side dialogue there. But when you're on the ship, when you're back on the Normandy, it's very limited. And I didn't I didn't remember how limited it was because when I think about Mass Effect, I realize like I think about I kind of consider Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 1 in my memory like the same game, a one continuous structure. And I didn't realize how Mass Effect 1 was very much like the bare bones. You're right, Kat, like the foundation, 100%, both in terms of what plays out in the rest of the story, but also what the identity of Mass Effect is. Everything is rooted in one, so it's important in that sense. But I, I, when I went back, I realized like I thought there was a lot more depth to one that I'm remembering now. So you don't do any of the walking around the ship and like developing your relationships between missions in one? You do. Not nearly yeah. as much. Mm. You do, but like... Like, like Dr. Chakwas, you say one thing to her and she has nothing to say the rest yeah, of the yeah. game. For instance. Granted, she's a, she's a side character regardless in 2 and 3 too, but yeah. there are more moments with her uh, as the series goes on. So they, they start to develop even those side characters a little bit better. 
Yeah, I mean, two is really focused on that. Like, like I yeah. even the first like I played like ten hours of it again, and it's like most of my time has been making obsessively making sure I've done all my dialogue options and making sure the characters I like know I like them, and like that's all happening on the ships. Like I'm barely on planets sometimes, and I'm just like my entire play session was walking around the ship. Which Please I, like which I me initially so loved. you don't die. Yeah, yep, exactly. The power oh, of this that, that we're seeing right now. This was the miserable experience that we're seeing right now. Yeah, I, I, you had to, and I had to do everything. Yeah, but I it felt beats like, I needed like to going around plant, scanning planets in Mass it's Effect true. Two. It's true. Yeah, I'll give you that one. And just don't do it. But you have, you to, have scan to do the it. planets in Mass Effect Two. It. It's, it's right. mandatory. Yeah. You don't have to do any of this yep. in one. You got to get true. in three. You got to get your war assets. In two, you got to get all of the resources so that mm -hmm. none of your people die because you got to mm -hmm. fortify that ship. And I did. Did not do that the first time I played, so I was more than happy to redo all of that this time around. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I'm playing through Legendary uh, Edition and Mass Effect right now as well, kind of slowly and steadily, because I did take a break for uh, Ratchet and Clank. And, like, I just, you know, I've always liked them. Like, who doesn't like the Mass Effect games? But, like, my esteem and opinion of them has only gone up in this replay, and I don't think... I think Bioware got done dirty a little bit because Mass Effect 3 was a little bit rushed. They didn't have the time to do what they wanted to do with that game. And then the final 10 minutes of that game really colored people's opinion of the whole trilogy. And like going back through it with fresh eyes, it is an unbelievable achievement in world building and lore and a marriage of, uh, uh, you know, narrative and meaningful player choice and gameplay and everything in that game world. Like Mass Effect 2 has ammo and one doesn't. And there's an in-game explanation why that's actually logical and makes sense and how the technology works. Like it's unbelievable. It's an absolute milestone. And when one came off, came out, like that was early-ish days for like 3D, you know, cover-based RPGs. Like everything else was not at that level. And then two came out right after it, like two years later. And then three was two years later. Like they did not have a lot of time to just sprint through the making of this trilogy. And um and 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 I, I don't know. Like I think that this replay has really shown me that these are some of my favorite games of all time, which mm -hmm. I didn't really quite understand, or or you know, I didn't feel that way when I went through them the first time around when they were contemporary. Um, I I don't I don't think it's fair to compare the Mass Effect games and the player choice that goes into them to something like The Witcher when it's so much more extensive and thorough and the permutations of who's alive and who's dead and how they had to account for that in Mass Effect 3, um, it's on a completely different level than what anyone else is even attempting to do, let alone sort of following through and managing to largely execute successfully like Bioware did. Um, it's, uh, it's incredible, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with all of that, Justin. And actually, the way that Mass Effect is talked about kind of reminds me of how people talk about Neon Genesis Evangelion. An anime that was hailed as groundbreaking when it came out, but people are like, I don't know about that ending. And then it yep. became kind of a meme and people were kind of goofing on it for a long time as it became largely unavailable and hard to watch. Then it got a re-release and everybody returned to it at exactly the same time. And in many ways, it rehabilitated, uh, I mean, uh, in many ways, it boosted its reputation again. People who are like, I really hated that ending, maybe still hated the ending, but go, like, man, what a cool game. And I feel like people are saying the same thing about Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Legendary yeah. Edition is good. People people talk about the big stuff, right? Like, well, yeah. what you do about the Genophage or what you do about uh, uh, 
you know, the uh, just the other major choices in the game. But like, there's so much tiny stuff. There's so much tiny cool stuff that in two, you meet a character that they're like, oh, thank you so much for saving me. Like you saved my life. And like that reactive nature of the gameplay in, in even tiny, small ways is um, they don't get enough credit for that, for how many flags and how much stuff was carried over game to game. And then the through line through, you know, the war asset stuff is like a little bit cheesy it makes it real very gamey but um but it gives these small storylines a through line and a little punctuation mark at the end of your adventure that um that i really appreciate um yeah and we're never going to see a game like the mass effect trilogy nope. ever again like nobody nope. is going to go and try and make that kind of experience ever again it's one of a kind and so yep. i just i'm just grateful that we got the mass effect trilogy even if it even if it didn't quite stick the landing, it's still an incredible series. I'm what if we about get the, uh, the the <laughs> trilogy again in 10 years, 20 years, but they just change the text to be really, really tiny and, and crappy looking <laughs> and hard to read? Just make it a bad font, like the Pixel Remaster, Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster. Oh no, the font thing. Oh jeez. The joke. Um, yeah, you know, Kat, you're right. Like, I, I almost have this sense of melancholy playing through them where it's like, holy shit, like, and this isn't a knock against Bioware. Like, I hope that they're back and Mass Effect 4 is really, really good. But even if it is good, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 game, there I don't think there's any chance that they're going to do the reactive nature of, like, the the permutations and how they branched from 2 to 3 and just got wider and wider. Like, I think they and the rest of the video game industry learned a lot of lessons uh, in the Mass Effect trilogy that, that are never to be repeated, in my opinion. Um, I, I hope I'm wrong, but it's like, it does feel like lightning in a bottle. Yeah, the original Mass Effect was very much the product of a young, maybe slightly crazy studio that had all of these big, bold ideas and somehow pulled off a lot of them. And maybe by Mass Effect 3, they were going, what have we done? Oh my God, we cannot possibly bring this all around. And, um, you know, Bioware has changed a lot as a studio since then. And they did it in a condensed time frame too, which I definitely yeah. have a sense of like what could have been where, um, you know, EA and, you know, to EA's credit, like games got to come out, you got to release your game, but like they didn't really give Bioware the time that they needed. And, um, and it, it's kind of a miracle that Mass Effect 3 exists in the, in this high quality of state as it does, even if it doesn't completely deliver on everything. So, Kat, I want to hear about what you've been playing, too. But, but before, you mentioned that Mass Effect 1 had the best villain. So I, which one? Because there was a few of those. Oh, my God. You're going to make me try and remember his name. Is it Ferris? Is that his name? Uh, he shoots himself in the head. Gosh darn it. Oh, Sarah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, Sarah, uh, there you go. Uh, Sarah, see, I'm being exactly. exposed yeah. as a fraud gamer because <laughs> I couldn't remember the name off the top of my head. I just did because a two-hour podcast about this as well for my own show, so I should I should remember it off the top of my head. I guess I'm getting old, but no, Saren's great. He's a, a villain that holds through the entire game all the way up until the end, the final confrontation is really enjoyable. It has its roots going back to the uh, the original Fallout 2, Fallout 1, uh, when you meet the master and you can basically convince mm -hmm. him to kill himself. Uh, that's like hardcore, <laughs> good old school RPG stuff right there. And uh, I mean, Mass Effect 2 was much more of a nebulous villain, right? I, I guess you could say that the um, uh, Cerberus and the uh, the Smoking Man. No, not the Smoking Man. The Elusive God, Man. I cannot remember. The Elusive Man. The Elusive Man. <laughs> yeah, like he uh, he's the villain in that one in many ways. But um, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. Saren, best villain. 
complicated, like a lot of the yeah. uh, decisions and the narrative in the series. Yeah. But yes, Kat, let us know. What are you playing? I have been playing the Monster Hunter Stories 2 demo, and this game is unlikely to get a lot of attention, but the TLDR of it is basically it's Monster Hunter, but by way of Pokemon, which I think is kind of neat. Uh, it's a very pretty game. And basically, it kind of posits a, a theory that I've been kind of thinking about for a while, which is maybe the hunters and Monster Hunter are actually the villains. Maybe they're actually mm -hmm. bad. Maybe we should not be killing these monsters. Perhaps the monsters should be our friends. Because oh in God. Monster Hunter Stories 2, you live on an island, you're pals with the monsters, you ride them around, they're, they're the best. And then some jerk hunters come along and are trying to kill a Rathalos and the Rath and this messes up the entire ecosystem and you're chastising those hunters. And it just tells me that you were bad all along in mm -hmm. uh, the Monster Hunter games. But Monster Hunter Stories 2, I find the art style a little bit overbearing. It's very cutesy. Uh, kind of cell shady game. They actually tried to mature it a little bit. And you can go read Jesse Wade's uh, interview with the Monster Hunter Story 2 devs over on IGN. But nice. it kind of reminds me of Yokai Watch a little bit in terms of the actual art style. But the battle system is actually quite good. It has a uh, kind of a rock, paper, scissor situation going on. Um, and it feels like Monster Hunter only in a turn based combat kind of sense. And you can recruit monsters, have them fighting along your side. It's like, remember, monsters are friends, not food. <laughs> but, oh, hold on. Okay. So the premise here is that it's bad to hunt monsters, basically poach monsters for their parts. But I, I wouldn't say that it's the that's the premise. Uh, it's just that hunters come along and mess everything up, like the okay. jerks that they are. So this well, like is for saying, the people who are... It makes yeah. you reflect on it, right? It yeah, yeah, yeah. Up. However... The, the the thing they're settling on is animals are your friends, so let's make them fight each other, which is just dog fighting <laughs> or cock fighting. Yeah. Right? Well, no, 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 no. They're just they're they're protecting you or something. I don't know. Don't make me think about this too much. <laughs> this is like Pokemon. If you look too far into it, you're like, this is messed up. Yeah. This is when it starts to get kind of dark. Uh, mm -hmm. It does make me think about like on the Pokemon connection. It does make me think about how everybody wants their own Pokemon, but nobody can quite land it. And that's because Pokemon, just for as cute as it is, is always secretly a little bit dark and a little bit weird. And no <laughs> game can quite hit that kind of weird darkness in the same way as Game Freak can. And I'm not sure that Monster Hunter Stories 2 can either, but... I think it's going to be one of those sneaky, under-the-radar, pretty good RPGs when it comes out on Nintendo Switch. That's you, great. Um, you're right about that undercurrent in the Monster Hunter games, though. Like, frequently, the monsters are asleep when you initiate combat yeah. with them. And I'm like, this isn't, this isn't great. They're He's just asleep. wandering around, minding yeah, their just, own business, you're, enjoying their lives. They're just in their ecosystem. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a decision in Mass Effect several times, right? Is to yeah. not only... Uh, commit xenocide on aliens but uh to choose whether or not uh, to kill the fauna yeah uh, yeah you have to you mm. have to spare the rachni queen um no yeah and the, and I, I should say monster hunter has the thinnest justification for like there is some in-game reason why you're killing all these monsters because they're messing up the world or whatever but they're messing yeah. up the ecosystem we gotta balance yeah. it out or something no then, you're just gonna go yeah, around that's, and that's what hunters say and then wear their skin it'd be true <laughs> but Sam, some monsters do, do deserve to be killed with fire because they're just that terrifying. Because uh, they're full so... of fire and they're emitting it. <laughs> yes, there are some town. monsters where you're just like, you jerk, you are dead. I have killed you, thank God. So, mm -hmm. and when you're carving them up, you carve them up with relish. <laughs> <laughs> fire with fire, I like it. 
Sam, what are you playing these days? Oh boy. So usually Damon gives me like a, like a, a stop clock so I can know when to stop talking about pinball. So <laughs> I'm not going to do that this time. So I'm just like, like maybe 15, 20 minutes. Um, I, uh, I, I'm just joking, but uh, we, uh, have, uh, at the arcade that I have games at here in town, got the new Mandalorian machine. It's Ooh. cool. It's a, uh, it's, I, you know, if we were in the office right now, we could all probably be playing this. Maybe we will soon. But uh, yeah, it's based on Mando. Uh, not, um, it, it's a, it's from Stern. It, it, so you can see here, there's like a Boba Fett, uh, or sorry, Boba Fett, Mandalorian uh, head, like mini play field is one of the things in it. It's got like a, a couple of cool, very steep ramps. Those are the kind of the features. It's very plain features wise. Um, and there's some stuff that I don't like that I'm gonna start out talking about with it. But one of the things is that big plastic baby Yoda in the background just mm. does nothing. It's just, it's just, just there. You know, there's no like like cool thing for it to be. It's just kind of an ugly big toy in the background. But the game has really easy to hit shots, and that's nice about it. But the thing I really like about it, and the thing that uh, is super worth checking out for, is that it has a full theme integration. You watch clips from the show, and it has like really good sound and like full, just like like. And the reason like to point that out is like plenty of games don't do that. Like you play Deadpool, it has nothing from the Deadpool movies in it. It's like all like made for pinball animations and they're like not amazing that game's a little bit better than others but like i really like how this has like full television integration into it and so it's like when you lose the ball like the whole theme of balls in this game is the eggs that uh grogu is going for in the <laughs> in the show that's great and so like when you like tilt or you're draining or whatever it's like grogu's like grabbing one of those eggs and eating it it's really fun <laughs> and so they they do a lot of good integration with that but that's that's basically it been playing it and i only played it a couple of nights this week but i can't wait to go back and try more um it's very new pinball machines are rare so it's very exciting mm. that's my right i know i think pinball is kind of my favorite thing really it's like when i go into our arcade i make a beeline for the pinball machines because they're always just such a fresh and enjoyable experience and i happen <laughs> to live near the alabino pinball machine or pinball museum oh, so man. I can go there it's such a great place and amazing oh just a wonderful one of my favorite places in the entire bay area that place is great because they divide up rooms by era. So you walk through the old timey room and just keep walking. But uh, there's a uh, <laughs> there's an 80s room and like a 90s room and like they swap swap out games enough in them. And there's like a jukebox in each one with like the era's mm. music in it that you are free to like put on stuff. And it's so smart and it's such a great like cool vibe there. And I think they're getting a new space too. They're really working hard on it. Uh, it might be like an old museum down there is the latest I heard. And Justin, you're playing Mass Effect Legendary Edition too. You said. Yes, I, I shared my impassioned yes. speech. He's getting more and more worked up as you two are bagging <laughs> on Mass Effect 1. <laughs> there's, there's some Justin, good elements. Justin, I'm with you. <laughs> I think you. we represented both the flaws and the and the positives of that game. We have Dude, no tiebreaker yeah. here. It's two and two. So. <laughs> That's the, true, uh, yeah. Stuff. The climax of that game from like Vermeer into Ilos and then into sort oh, of the assault so on the Citadel is like unmatched in its marriage of like, you know, gameplay and narrative stakes and also payoff of personal story moments with um with Rex. Like it's such mm -hmm. a masterclass. It's so well done. And just don't don't land on the random planets. Just don't do it. Pass yeah, on. just uh just don't get any of those um just don't get any of those items in you there. Don't need them. Oh, you don't need You gotta get yeah. one of those floating orbs. Thresher Moss, <laughs> an iconic part of Mass Effect. I remember They're just that sleeping. Name. They're just That's... sleeping. <laughs> That's actually a good one. And they play a bigger role down the down the road. Yeah. Thresher Moss are That's food right. or friends, not food. 
<laughs> Another example. That's true, actually. Uh, no spoilers. But yes, uh, it is time for 20 questions, everybody. Oh, Our man. suggestion this week comes from Chris W. from Eagle Pass, Texas. My neighbor, hello. Wow. Let the questioning begin. But that's not actually your neighbor, though, right? You're just... Well, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I'm in Texas right now, so... No, 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 yes, understood. Technically you don't, you don't city know neighbors. No, 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 we did not collude over this. Got it. Um, <laughs> and, and then is the the uh, is the basic premise of Video Game 20 Questions, uh, you're all caught up on that, cat. Basically, no, we, we ask joke this questions. Is all, this then... is all special. This is all new to me, so I'm excited okay. about this. Whoops. Okay. So <laughs> yes or no questions... Now? Uh, yeah, yeah. Twenty yes or no questions, and uh, mm -hmm. we have some go tos. We we usually try to uh, uh, narrow things down by like era, and then like um, uh, you know, like region and developer and stuff like that. But like that doesn't work always, and so it'll Often. just it'll get interesting. So I don't want to influence your questioning at all. Yeah. And then and we'll, we'll do our best to get there. And we have some new tricks, and uh, one of the newest ones mm -hmm. did not work at all last week. And so I'd what like to try one? it again this week. And that's where I asked multiple genres in one. But it oh, yeah. worked on that's some tricky. weeks prior. So yeah. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try well, it to kick off. One one clarification. It's actually 19 questions and a guess. Oh, right. That's good. Isn't it? It's all a lie. Yes. 19 questions. <laughs> I know. You have well, to. The last question, <laughs> whenever you, you, you get to it, even if it's not 19 or if you're not 20, it has to be, is this yes it's jeopardy rules like what is uh, insert king here yeah. we should learn by doing okay. it we should just go let's do it okay let's do it okay so is this an rpg an action game or a shooter no oh. all right we well, eliminated three genres <laughs> great um did this video game come out in the 90s originally yes. like on its first release yes is this game on a PlayStation console. No. Is this game a platformer, a puzzle game, or a uh, fighter? Uh, yes. I, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> I instantly hate this. Right? Five questions in. Uh, well, we know it's a platformer, a puzzle game, or a fighter. That's what we know now. Period. Okay. Was, this was this game originally released on a Nintendo platform? Yes, that's five. Hmm. Was this game released in Japan first? Uh, no, actually. That's okay. six. Let Japan first check. is really interesting. We usually ask um, where it was developed, but knowing like, yeah. which country it came out in first is an interesting spin on that. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, it is. I looked this up earlier to make sure. Let me confirm. Yep. The answer was no. Does it feature okay. a popular mascot? No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> That's seven, right? Am I keeping track well? <laughs> but then it's like, it's so sad. It's like, is Vector Man considered popular? I guess it's on yeah, that, a that's... Nintendo platform, but... Mm -hmm. We don't know if it's on NES, Super Nintendo, 64, Virtual Boy. This no, point. but we know it was a or 90s game. Boy. Game Boy Advance. Yeah. Um... It's a 90s game. Oh, I it's have on a, a Nintendo one. platform. It came out here first, or it came out. It did not come out in Japan first, so that's like really interesting. Uncommon. Does it have two D graphics? Yes. That was we, yes. Yeah, we yes. lost your audio, but I saw you nod. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm. Uh, I just I want to get it out of the way. Did, did it come out? Did this game originally come out on the Super Nintendo? No. 
Ooh, what? Okay. So Damn. we've removed the Super Nintendo from the equation. But it is a 2D game. Was this a handheld game? Uh, no. Okay. Okay. So okay. NES or, or maybe a 2D game on 64. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I yeah, you, you, we got to pick one. Is this based on a license? Yes. It's based on a um, license. Is it NES? An NES game? Yes. Okay, so an NES game based on a license. Probably a platformer. Okay. From that question. <laughs> what were the three genres? Platformer, puzzle, or. We don't fighting. even know. We don't remember fighting. Every, yeah. I remember. Okay, That's okay. the hardest part of that question, though. I will admit that. <laughs> remembering what you asked, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest part of just game scoop is remembering what you said. That's true. It's just like we a blackout right after. And we it was not released in North America first. That, my first thought was the McDonald's platformer. That's what I was yeah. supposed to say, McKids. <laughs> yeah, McKids, yeah. right? That's great. It could totally be McKids, right? I don't know if it came out in the 90s. That game was... What a, about Yonoid? Yeah, Yonoid. Was it? Yeah, he'll be annoyed. But it's funny because you asked if there was a popular mascot in it, and the answer was no. <laughs> Noid is not popular. Take, take that, Noid. <laughs> Noid's back. Uh, what about the California Raisins? Yeah, it never oh, came God, out, though. Yeah. They were incredibly popular, though. <laughs> That's true. Uh, um, let's 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 go with, okay, uh, is this based on a, a, a franchise or um, a movie? A movie? Yeah. Okay. It's based on a movie. Okay. It on the movie. NES, it's like a platformer or something. I mean, they made home, this... they made Home Alone games. They made a million yeah, of them. Totally. <laughs> oh, is this based yeah. on a, a movie that's live action, not cartoon? Is it based on a live action? No. No. Okay. Not Ooh. live action. Oh. Okay. Interesting. I mean, there's fourteen. There's so a cartoon. Simpsons. Oh yeah, like oh, Bart versus that's the Space Man. But that's popular. that's not movie. Movie, uh, movie. Good point. Uh, is, oh, should we ask movie. about Disney or Disney? Uh, Disney. Disney Afternoon. How many NES ones are there though? In the nineties, quite a few. Okay. Ducktales. Ducktales two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chippendale Rescue, Rescue Ranger. Rescue. That would have been nineteen ninety. But none of those are movies. It's based yeah, off an but... animated movie that has to be from like ninety so or ninety one. Well, there's there's Lion King, Little Mermaid. Aladdin, Little Mermaid, all Beauty those... and the Beast. So did those Aladdin and Lion NES. King were not a Nintendo. That's what I'm, no, they're, they're on they're on NES. They're from Virgin, but they were just really late and okay. like nobody played them. Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> like the Little Mermaid Little Mermaid would be a good one. That also yeah. well, we, Did we well, establish is this, is whether space... or not this was Disney? No, we no. didn't. You want to ask that one? Is this a Disney uh, property? Nope. Oh, not Disney. Oh, boy. All That's that speculation 15. for nothing. So Nickelodeon? You guys have four There's more and a guess. Fern Gully. What? <laughs> are you, are, are you <laughs> counting right? Yeah. That was, that, was, uh, that was 15. I'm trying to think about early 90s. Like, what did Justin oh. go see in the movie theater when I was a little kid? What if it's not animation, but like stop animation or puppetry, like Muppets or something? Now, that'd be live Muppets. action, I guess. That'd, yeah. that'd all be live action. Was there a Nickelodeon game on the NES? Bunch of Ren and Snippy games. There were Ren and Snippy games? Yeah, but they're not based on movies. They're based on mm -hmm. the show. Buckaroos is one of them. One's just called Ren and Snippy. I think there's three. Okay. 
Um, um, but we can ask. I I just can't think of another Nickelodeon. Like seriously, like movie animated movies. Animated movies. Who was making animated be... movies back then? Besides Disney. And okay, so yeah, and it's like Western animation. As it's like well. Five Goes West and All Dogs Go to Heaven type movies, but those weren't. Yeah. They didn't make NES games out of those. No. Is it Western animation? I was gonna oh. say. I was oh. just gonna say that. Thank you for okay. the hint. Just because the well, game well, but... came out here first. Oh. It still. I mean, there's. Be... It could still be based off of, you know, I don't know, Akira or something like something. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. There's Little Nemo. Dreammaster. Oh, yeah, little Nemo. It's I, that totally would have come little out... Nemo. No, no, but that would have totally not come out in the United States before it came out in Japan. Oh, yeah. Uh... <laughs> I don't know. Is this a Capcom game? Yes. Oh, Capcom. Okay. It's 16. I mean, so, yeah, I guess that's what it is. Is this about? Is this about dreams? Yes, that's seventeen. Yeah. I wow! Love this game so much. You want to do the honors, cat? Is it Little Nemo, the Dream Master? Yes. Nice. I, I felt like I had to throw out a little bit of a tip you totally because um, us in. it was a, a little bit more hard mode than I was expecting because yes, it was released in North America in September sixteenth, nineteen ninety, and then in dis- in Japan. Uh, in December, so a few months following. Yeah. Uh, so I think that do, may do, have do, thrown do. things off a little bit. Yeah, that's really that's a cool fact, though. Mm-hmm, and like yeah. again, like that's with you know knowledge of these games and stuff. That's actually a really good question for us to have. Um, man, and I looked. Rules. I looked up the uh, IGN coverage that we did not review it, so there's still a chance. <laughs> uh, we okay, do have. We don't exactly have a guide page. We do have a cheats page written by Samuel Claiborne himself. Oh, well really? You did a cheats page for that? That's hardcore, Sam. Oh I'm, my a, gosh. I'm a big fan. Um, <laughs> and then uh, we used to play this at our desk a lot. Um, oh. And that was, this was oh, a wow. game that, like, before the office shut down, that a uh, friend of the show and a parent, uh, parent on the show, uh, CJ, would, uh, would insist that he could beat. He insisted he could beat this game, and he would he would come over and he'd play it for a long time and not beat it. And to this day, he's never beat it. So we'll see. It's really it gets hard. I love yeah, apparently it ramps up quite a bit. Yeah, I was hoping that you guys would go down the line of like you know, do you shoot weapons and whatnot? Because I genuinely watched an entire walkthrough for this game in preparation of twenty questions to make sure I could answer every question. And I was hoping we would go down the weapon path because turns (laughs) out you do not have a weapon until you get to the end for the boss fights. You get a morning star. It shoots out beams. It's specifically for the boss fights. Otherwise, you throw candy at animals like a frog and a mole to take on their costume and uh, be able to use their abilities around the map as you guys saw in the b-roll but regardless that is all the scoops that we have for you this week thank you sam thank you justin thank Thank you cat thank you damon for letting me host in your absence damon and of course thank you to marion working behind the scenes Uh, and thank you to everyone who emailed in 20 question submissions and topic suggestions we didn't get to check in with the listeners on today's episode so justin i'm gonna need you to go ahead and say hi anyway because it's tradition (laughs) so justin if you will got it hey listeners there you go. Thank you very much. <laughs> Don't forget, you can email gamescoop at IGN.com with more suggestions for our next 20 questions uh, selection for next week. This has been IGN Gamescoop, and we're out. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth 
of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.